the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. We're going to start today with the Speaker of the Michigan House of Representatives, Lee Chatfield. Talk to him about roads, about the budget, and about how he is finding leadership as the youngest person ever to lead the Michigan House. Then we'll talk with Crane's Detroit Business Senior Editor Chad Livengood about his interview with Dan Gilbert and find out how the billionaire behind downtown Detroit's redevelopment is adapting to life after a major stroke. That's all next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. A little later in the show, we're going to be joined by Chad Livengood. He is the senior editor at Crane's Detroit Business, and he got the first interview with Dan Gilbert since his stroke last year. There's a very expansive story about Dan in this week's Cranes. And uh, Chad will be here to talk about what he learned from Dan Gilbert about what's going on with his health and what's going on with his work. He also was able to record a lot of that interview, and we will hear directly from Dan Gilbert himself during that interview about some of those things. So you are going to want to stay tuned to that interview, which will get started at just past half past the hour today. Also want to remind you of a very cool event coming up on March 4th, Latino USA, which you hear Saturday mornings here at 7 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 10 p.m. on WDET, is coming here to Detroit. I'm going to join host Maria Inahosa at the Senate Theater in Southwest Detroit Wednesday, March 4th at 7 p.m. for a live conversation. And that program is going to be recorded for the In the Thick podcast. You can find information and tickets at WDET.org slash events. Up first today... Road funding and budget talks are back in high gear at the state capitol. There is a lot going on in Lansing. And here to talk to us about all of it is State House Speaker Lee Chatfield, a Republican from Levering, who represents Michigan's 107th district up north. Lee Chatfield, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, good morning, Steve. Thanks for having me back on the show. Yes, great to have you here. So let's start with roads, which is the thing that is on everybody's minds. And it's going to be more on people's minds in a couple months when it starts to thaw and those potholes start to open up again and people are footing very large bills for repairs to their tires and their frames. Uh, Where do you see us in the debate about long-term road funding? Governor Whitmer says she's going to bond and that will uh, provide some money for the short term. But but what about these talks about how we take better care of the roads over the long term? Where Give us your assessment of that. Well, Steve, I think when you're talking roads, you, you have to look at the root of the problem and not simply a symptom. And a symptom of the problem is that we have bad roads, is that there's potholes, that our local roads are in terrible shape. And I think before you come up with what a long-term solution looks like, you have to talk about why are our roads in such terrible shape? What's the root of the problem? Now, Michigan does have an extreme freeze-thaw cycle unlike any other state, but I will tell you this. The root of the problem, Steve, is that we pay three taxes at the pump. Every single Michigan driver, when they fill up their car, they pay three taxes, but not all of those taxes go to fix the road. So we have nearly $900 million every year that doesn't go towards roads, that's paid in taxes at the pump. And I have said from day one, before we have any conversation about a new tax, we have to take every penny that's paid in taxes at the pump and put that penny towards the roads. That's what the people expect us to do. It's what they anticipate when they're putting that uh, gas in their car. So every other state does that, Steve. We don't. That's why our roads are in terrible shape. 
And that is going to be step one. So, so that always sounds like a very easy fix. Let's just take the money that we're paying at the pumps and put it toward the roads, and we would be at least halfway toward the the toward filling the gap that most experts say that we have. It's closer to two billion dollars a year that we need to to make that up. But that's half of it, and that's not anything to to sort of turn your nose up at. But but it's a more complex issue than that isn't it that money that we politics so well, of course it's going to be more complex yeah that, but but right? that money that that doesn't go to roads at the pump goes to other really important state services one of them being schools and so the question is not just whether we take the money at the pump and give it to roads it's how do you then backfill to make sure that you're not taking from other other things that are also underfunded Right. So last year, I would encourage you to look at the budget that the House passed last year. We transitioned the money from the pump to the roads. That was nearly $900 million. Mm -hmm. And we did so, Steve, with giving schools and local units of government both an increase. We did not cut either one of them. But, Steve, it's forcing government to do what every single one of your listeners does every single month, every single year. It's called prioritize. We are talking about finding $900 million in a $62 billion budget if our roads and infrastructure are a top priority, then we need to do what we can to prove to the taxpayers we're going to prioritize our money first before we go back into your pocket. But Steve, something that I think the listeners need to know, and certainly people in government need to know, I'm not talking about we have to find that $900 million in the first year. Our budget has grown every single year over the past 10 years. It's gone up nearly $20 billion um, in, 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 the, in the past decade, in the past 15 years. I mean, this is something where we could just capture the future growth of government and say that money is going to go towards roads. We could do a two-year phase-out of the sales tax at the roads. We could do a four-year phase-out where every single year we're taking a couple hundred million of the growth of government and putting it towards roads. Everyone wants to put out this false narrative that to put $900 million towards the roads, it's going to mean cutting something. That's not the case. Our, our, our budget continues to grow. Government continues to grow. Take that growth and put it towards roads. So, so uh, give me your assessment of this bonding proposal that the governor has. She says, look, uh, the, the legislature is not cooperating with a long-term solution. And as you point out, there's this stumbling block over, over what happens to the taxes we pay at the pump. So she's like, uh, I'm going to fix it in the short term on my own. Give, give me your reaction to that. Well, it's, it's nothing new. Past governors have done this. Mm -hmm. They bonded for roads. I will also make the point we are still paying back on debt that was taken out for roads by Engler and Granholm. So we're still paying back on bonds from those eras, and now we're going to take out a new one. And I would push back on the narrative that we didn't cooperate with the governor on a long-term solution. What I would tell you is we certainly pushed back on her solution for a long-term roads fix, and her solution was a 45-cent gas tax. She was unwilling to come off of that all last year. Um, and we were not going to do it. It was something that we said, no, the people of our state didn't support it. Therefore, we weren't going to allow it to get done. So the, the bonding proposal that the governor is doing, um, you know, that we now have the responsibility as a legislature to make those payments on, it, it's a short-term fix. And, and let me put this into perspective. Last year, the governor said we need $2.5 billion every year ongoing to fix our roads, $2.5 billion. Because we didn't come up with that, she actually vetoed, Steve, remember this, $400 million at the end of the year for roads that we found, we prioritized. She vetoed it because she said it wasn't a, quote, long-term solution. Mm -hmm. So her next fix, Steve, is a short-term fix of $3.5 billion spread out over 10 years. So this is short-term. It will fix some of our state roads, but these are not the local roads that need to be fixed. So this is a short-term solution. We will now be paying as a state on three sets of bonds to fix our roads, and it's all because we refuse to make the tough decisions to make sure all the tax dollars at the pump go towards roads. Okay. So I'm going to keep working with the governor on it, and I think this is what real leadership is about, is finding a way to, despite your differences, reach a consensus, and I'm very dedicated to doing that. Um, you know, we got a lot of good things done with this governor last year. And I don't think that we need to pack up and go home. I think we need to stay at the table and keep negotiating. So does that mean you're open to the idea, at least, of some sort of tax increase for roads at this point? You say that the 45-cent 
increase that the governor put on the table last year was unacceptable. You're not alone in, in that assessment. You couldn't get a lot of Democrats to, to, to back that number either. But in the long term, do you accept the idea that a higher tax than we are paying at the pump is something we ought to be thinking about? It's certainly not my first solution, Steve. And step one for me is taking all the tax dollars at the pump and putting them towards roads. If we can accomplish that, then I will at least have a conversation about if more is needed. But I will tell you this, focusing on the gas tax, in my opinion, is an antiquated tax. You have the rise of fuel-efficient vehicles. Mm -hmm. You have electric vehicles. It is not as fair of a process as there once was. The majority leader and I put several proposals to the governor last year. Um, as to fix the roads. And in some of those proposals, we did have step one is transitioning the sales tax to the roads. And we said we can come up with some new revenue, but we have to agree on how we do that. The, the problem is this. The governor wants to raise taxes 45 cents a gallon. I wanted zero. I want to take the sales tax at the pump, put that towards roads. But we're going to have to compromise somewhere, right? And, and that's, what, that's what real leadership is about. We, we said we weren't going to be Washington. Uh, they're plagued with political dysfunction. And they, they deal more with political rhetoric than they do reasoning and bipartisanship and compromise. So we don't want to be like that. Um, I have some disagreements with this governor, but I get along with her just fine. And I'll never let uh, disagreement on issue A stop me from working with her on issue B. Because uh, that's what uh, Republicans and Democrats should be doing. Because at the end of the day, we're all Michiganders, we're all Americans, and, and we need real leaders to step up and get some things done. My guest is State House Speaker Lee Chatfield, a Republican from Levering, who represents Michigan's 107th district, way up north here in the Lower Peninsula. We're talking about uh, the agenda in Lansing, which is ramping up again as road talks are still kind of underway and budget talks are back in high gear now that the governor has a proposal on the table. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and let us know what questions you have. For Michigan House Speaker Lee Chatfield, what do you think lawmakers' top priorities should be in 2020? And if we don't raise taxes for roads, what do you think we should be doing to address the problem, especially in the long term? As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Lee, I want to talk about the budget and and how differently, I guess, it seems the reaction to the budget is this year. Uh, sh- this is the governor's second budget proposal. And there wasn't an audible sort of thud in the room when the budget was uh, was unveiled this year. Are you at a better starting point for negotiations about the budget than you were with this governor in her first year? Well, Steve, I don't think we could be at a worse starting point. So, you know, I mean, when uh, you, you, you rightly made the assessment that last year's budget all depended on a 45 cent gas tax. So when the entire budget is dependent on a component that there's no way that I can support, it makes negotiating difficult. Um, this year, Rhodes was not an emphasis within her budget because she's doing the, the short term bonding fix. So I think we have more room. Uh, to come to an agreement. But I can tell you this, roads is still going, it may not have been a focus of this governor in this budget, but it will be a focus of the House in this budget. So we're going to have disagreements. And that's, and that's where you kind of just work together to, to find a middle ground. Um, but you know, last year's budget fiasco was something that I thought was, uh, was uncalled for. And I think it's something that we need to prove we don't need to do that every single year. I think it was very unfortunate uh, that we had the disagreements we did. And ultimately, the, the items that were vetoed kind of left a lot of people hurt uh, mm-hmm. in our state. So I think we can do better than that. And I think we're off to a better start this year. So so one of the things that, that I kept saying last year was that this was a new crop of participants in the budget negotiations. Mm-hmm. You had a new governor. You were new as speaker. Uh, uh, Mike Shirky was, was new as majority leader. It takes time to develop those relationships, and there there wasn't a lot of time. I mean, I think things didn't go as well as perhaps we all anticipated they might, uh, but they didn't they didn't break down as badly as they had in the past. Right. Uh, but I do I mean, wonder if you think we can get back to the schedule that we had that we had become accustomed to, which is that the budget gets done pretty much before we go up to Mackinac in uh, at the end of the, of May, if not 
you know, in a few weeks after right. that. Do, do, I, are I we moving back that way? It, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think getting it done before Mackinac would still be a challenge. That'd be difficult. I mean, Governor Snyder didn't get that all the time before Mackinac. But um, if you remember, one of the compromises that we came to at the end of the year to settle our budget dispute was a bill that would require the legislature to at least present a budget to the governor by July 1st. So I think you'll see an expedited process this year. I think we're off to a much better start. And you are right. There were new players in the process. There were new negotiators. But I don't want our budget fight and our roads fight to overshadow many of the good things that we did get done last year, whether it was car insurance reform or criminal justice reform, mental health reform, a lot of really important things that our state was facing that we came together in a bipartisan way and got done and showed leadership. Many times that's overshadowed by the disagreements. Uh, you know this, Steve. Obviously, you are you are in media. You are in sales. Uh, disagreement sells better papers than agreement does. And uh, <laughs> a lot of times that's where the focus is. And that's okay. Uh, same thing is true for Washington. But we got a lot of good things done last year that I'm proud of. Um, and I think we can build on that heading into this year. Yeah. Uh, last question on on roads and some of the ideas that Republicans, for instance, put on the table last year and that uh, they say that Governor Whitner, Whitmer was not interested in discussing. Republicans had control of government here for eight years, complete control, uh, both houses and the governorship, and couldn't reach a conclusion, couldn't reach a proposal together about how to fix the long-term road plan. Is it fair to say that Governor Whitmer is somehow responsible for not taking these these ideas seriously when those ideas couldn't get consensus, even when everybody was of the same party? So I think it's somewhat of a false narrative to create the perception that it's one party's fault or one person's fault. I think the blame uh, should be on many different people that have served within government. But let me tell you this, Steve. A lot of people don't know this. When Governor Granholm left office from the time when Governor Snyder left office, that was just eight years. Our transportation funding wasn't increased by 20 percent. It wasn't increased by 50 percent. It wasn't increased by 75 percent. It was increased by over 100 percent. We doubled funding for roads during the time Snyder was in office. That was not an easy task. We raised an additional $1.2 billion to fix our roads, and that was something that everyone in the other party voted no on. So you had people at that point voting no on a seven cent gas tax increase because they said it was regressive. Then the next Democrat that comes in wants a 45 cent gas tax. So I say all that, if you, if you can follow all of that, it's confusing. Bottom line, funding was doubled under Snyder, but it's still not enough. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not into playing the blame game. I will tell you, I think the 45 cent gas tax plan is a bad plan. I think bonding is a short term solution, but I'm not blaming any one person. We all need to reach an agreement. We all need to come together. If we all simply point fingers at each other, nothing will get done. And we already will have uh, divisive enough year with this being an election year. Uh, we don't need to do that to each other. Okay, we've got a lot of listeners who want to participate in this conversation. I'm going to start with uh, Megan Owens of Transit, Transit Riders United, who asks on Twitter whether you are going to be supportive of HB 5229, which would amend the Municipal Partnership Act and enable Southeast Michigan voters to decide whether to invest in regional transit. Uh, we had Oakland County Executive Dave Coulter on the show last week talking about the efforts to pass this. Uh, it, this would be doing this outside of the RTA, which we passed about 10 years ago <clears throat> as a way to, to try to deal with regional transit here in Southeast Michigan. What do you think of HB 5229? So let me start by saying I think uh, transit is a regional issue, and I think it's particularly a Southeast regional issue. Uh, I say that, Steve. I'm a Republican from Northern Michigan. Uh, mass transit is not something that people are calling for me to do up here. Mm. So I start with that by saying I do think that we can reach a solution on how to enable the voters of Southeast Michigan to make these decisions for themselves. I don't, I don't support continuing to take tens, hundreds of millions of dollars from Lansing. These are dollars that taxpayers from around the state give to Lansing, to government, and sending it to Detroit, sending it to Oakland County. Send, I, no. I want to enable the voters of Southeast Michigan to take care of it themselves. So I do support finding a solution. I think the bill is not quite ready yet. I want to ensure that it's done fairly. I want to make sure it's done efficiently. Um, And it is a priority to get it done in some way. Um, But the bill needs some more work, and it's one of the the priorities that we're going to have heading into the next month, ensuring that people in Oakland, 
and Wayne um, and Washtenaw, wherever county we're looking at, they're all treated fairly and have an equal voice at the table. I want to go back to something you just said there, this idea of taking money from around the state and sending it here to Detroit or to Oakland County. That's a really odd notion of the way taxes work, I think, uh, given that most of the taxes in this state are paid in Southeast Michigan, A. Uh, and and if you look at the return, I think the disproportionate end of the return is actually for places that are much smaller uh, and 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 shoulder much less of the tax burden, but but also, aren't we in a aren't we past the, the the point where we're looking at it that way? That that the idea that Southeast Michigan is somehow separate from the rest of the state. I mean, well, what well, what happens here it, matters everywhere, doesn't it? Let me say, I, I'm I'm from Northern Michigan. Let me say this: the success of our state is largely dependent on the success of Southeast Michigan. I readily admit that. I have no problem, no qualms saying that. I'm not uneasy saying that. The better everyone's doing in Southeast Michigan, the more they want to come up to Northern Michigan and enjoy themselves. We're a tourist location. We need that. What the point I'm making is this. I think we should enable the hand, enable the voters of Southeast Michigan, untie their hands to make these decisions for themselves. So I support the concept of reaching a conclusion on this, because if we don't, we will just have to, from Lansing, just send more and more money. Then Southwest wants more transit. And then what if Northeast wants transit? So I think just let the voters in that region decide. I think it's a Southeast problem. Let's untie the hands of the voters down there in an efficient and fair way and let them make those decisions for themselves. Let's take a quick call before uh, we have to take a quick break. And we're going to try to keep this conversation going. we got a lot of listeners here who want to participate. Um, Josh in Beverly Hills. Josh, go ahead. I want to commend your speaker there. He's... uh while denying it, he's an expert in framing and, and creating a narrative, I think, that is also untrue, that the roads, the economies of supporting the roads is, is need support far beyond the pump, that linear kilometers or linear miles traveled and a car registration for personal ownership is a better funding method because we are moving in a demographic sense. They're moving in, in, in a macro and microeconomic sense past the idea of personal transportation being centered on the road. And unfortunately, he's right. Regionally, uh, the uh, Upper Peninsula is disproportionately not paying for the infrastructure they're now demanding be supported by people who live in urban places who lose, use less energy and use less roads, but use less, less roads in their day than people there. We're, we're simply not dependent on it. The infrastructure that he's describing is unsustainable under any economic circumstances mm. going forward. It's a folly created in the last 50 years. We have to wind down, not look for ways to support and look for ways to maintain. Unfortunately, Detroit is, needs to quickly shift in terms of its uh, economy and the, what we build here in this uh, city or region so that we can be, we can be uh, future-proof and be a player in the next 100 years of personal transportation. But the idea that we're going to be continuing to pave things over yeah. is folly, and the solution is mass transit is more efficient personal transportation. Yeah, Josh, I Josh, I really appreciate the call and uh, the comments. Uh, speaker, I'll give you a chance to respond on that. Sure. I think you've got some points that are true, but uh, I think there's some that are inaccurate. Number one, first, let me remind you, we just got done talking about mass transit. And, you know, I had simply said that it's a priority of mine to ensure we reach a consensus on that bill. Um, the bill's not ready yet. It's not prepared yet. Uh, but we are still working on it to find what the solution is. I said, I said at the onset, I think focusing simply on the gas tax and what you pay at the pump is not a sustainable source of revenue. So I agree with him when it comes to that. And that's why step one, I didn't say the final step, but I said step one is ensuring all the money at the pump is paid towards roads. I mean, if he didn't like my plan of the sales tax at the pump going to roads, he really wouldn't have liked the governor's 45 cent gas tax. However, to focus only on registration, you need to make sure it's done in a fair way. Right now, Stephen, I don't think the registration is done in a fair way. Here's what I mean. There could be a driver in northern Michigan, take me, for instance, and I drive on average 80,000 miles in our state a year. I pay the same on registration as what someone in southeast Michigan does driving 3,000 miles a year, Hmm. right? And I think that's unfair. So if you're going to focus on registration, the, the idea needs to be the more you drive, the more you pay. I don't like just simply throwing more money on registration. I think it's unfair. And at the end of the day, what you what we pay for the roads should be 
a user fee. The more you drive, the more you pay. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with State House Speaker Lee Chanfield, and we're going to get to more of your questions. Leslie in Hazel Park, Lori and Warren, Charlie in Detroit. We'll hear from you, and if you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is State House Speaker Lee Chatfield, a Republican from Levering, who represents Michigan's 107th District. We're talking about what's going on in Lansing, what's going on with roads, the budget, other issues. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Charlie in Detroit. Charlie, welcome to the show. You there, Charlie? Charlie, I don't think you're paying attention. <laughs> All right, Charlie, call us back, uh, and we'll try to get you into the conversation here. Let's go to Lori and Warren. Lori, welcome to the show today. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. Go ahead. Um, so my comment today was about the gas tax. Um, I can't support it because I know a lot of people personally, um, and I've heard a lot of all stories about people in the situation where the vehicle is so expensive, you have to pay for gas, you have to pay for the registration, um, maintenance of the vehicle, purchasing vehicle. Um, so I, just, I don't think it's fair to hmm. a lot of people to have to pay an additional tax and right. gas to use roads, especially when there's no other way to get around in Michigan. So, so Lori, what would you do about... Uh, the, the the awful condition of the roads. I mean, you, you you're driving the road, same roads that that I am here in Southeast Michigan. They're they're pretty they're pretty bad, and we pay a lot of money to fix our cars when we hit you know potholes that are that are inches deep and uh, and bend our rims or or slit our tires. What what, what would you do? Um, I think a big piece of the puzzle is mass transit and making that attractive to people who even have the option use a vehicle hmm. um, a lot of other states have done that I've been to places where using the bus was more affordable and more convenient than traveling by car that also takes some of the strain off of the roads and potentially even the budget for the roads hmm. uh, Laurie great ideas and uh, great question uh, Lee Chatfield talk about the relationship in your mind between road funding and mass transit funding Again, Stephen, I think it's a southeast and I think it's a regional issue. I don't think it's something that will particularly be a help to northern Michigan. But that's why House Bill 5229 is a part of the conversation, because Mm -hmm. there are some who have identified we can do more for transit. I just want to make sure it's done in a fair way. But I want to make a note uh, with something Lori said that I agree with. Um, She said there's many people who just simply can't afford it. Um, It's a foreign concept, Stephen, in some people's minds that, oh, a 10 or 15 cent gas tax can't be afforded by some people. I grew up in northern Michigan. I grew up uh, lower income end of the, of the spectrum. And I remember being in a family. I remember myself when I was putting myself through college that I couldn't, you know, I couldn't fill up my tank every single time I needed gas. You know, the reason I would stop at the tank or my father or mother would stop at the pump and only put 15 or $20 in, you know why we did that? Because we didn't have enough money to fill up the tank. So that 10, that 15 cents will be felt by people across the state, and we have to ensure whatever we're doing, it's something that people can afford. So I appreciate Lori's emphasis on that. Not everyone can afford it. Um, And I also understand and and sensitive to the fact that we can do more for transit. We just need to make sure it's done in a fair way where all voters who are impacted have a fair voice and equal voice at the table. Uh, Chris on Twitter has a question on a different subject. He says, what are you doing to ensure the safety of individuals from sexual harassment in the Capitol in light of what happened to Mallory McMorrow and uh, to a journalist? We've seen these stories in recent weeks about 
women who work in the capital feeling like uh, the environment there is a threat to them. Uh, what is your response to, to those allegations and to the culture that they have been talking about that exists in Lansing? Well, Steve, uh, ensuring that sexual harassment is stopped in the Capitol has been a priority, not just uh, of this administration, not just of me as speaker, but previous speakers as well. And that's why we focus a lot on training at the beginning of the term to ensure that harassment of men or women uh, is something that's eliminated. Uh, We take every single complaint very serious, and we investigate to the best of our ability anytime something is reported. So it's something that we take serious. It's something that we want to diminish and hopefully eliminate completely to ensure that there's not a man or a woman that works at the Capitol that's sexually harassed. And we take it on a case-by-case issue. When there's a complaint, we investigate and we ensure uh, that, uh, that it's taken care of. But we also work on the front end in education and training to let people know what is appropriate and what is not. Mm. Uh, what about the idea of an independent ethics commission? That's something that's been swirling around Lansing for a really long time, and it has to do with not just sexual harassment, but lots of other ethical questions that, that come up. Is is that something that it's time to, to think about? Well, we've been working, actually, the House and the Senate. We've been working with the Michigan Chamber. We've been working with voters, not politicians, and several outside groups to bring an ethics reform uh, to the voters. We've worked with groups that most would identify as Democrat. We've worked with groups that most would identify as Republican uh, to ensure that we can clean up things that we believe need more oversight in Lansing. It's been a priority of ours the past several months. We're close to an agreement on an overall package. Hmm. But since, since it would be a constitutional change, Steve, it would have to go through a vote of the people, which, which means I would have to get two-thirds support within the legislature. So I do think we need more accountability. I do think we need more oversight. Um, but just remember this, when it comes to public policy, Steve, there's nothing as dangerous as good intentions. And you have to make sure that it's done in a fair and an appropriate way to ensure that it's not over-politicized by the right or the left and to ensure that everyone's treated equally. Okay, State House Speaker Lee Chatfield, Republican from Levering, is really great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks for being here. Thanks a lot, Steve. Always a pleasure to be on the show. Yeah, we'll talk with you soon. Up next, billionaire businessman Dan Gilbert is ready to start speaking publicly again for the first time since he had a serious stroke last year. We're going to hear parts of his conversation with Chad Livengood of Crane's Detroit Business about the stroke, his uphill recovery, and his big plans for Detroit now that he's back and ready to work. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. It's been nine months since billionaire businessman Dan Gilbert suffered a really serious stroke. The Quicken Loans and Rock Ventures co founder has kept very private since then, focusing on his recovery. But now he's ready to start speaking publicly again. Crane's Detroit Business Senior Editor Chad Livengood got the chance to sit down with Gilbert for his very first interview since his stroke last year. Chad joins us now to talk about it. Chad, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Uh, This is a a remarkable piece of work that you've put together here, talking with a guy who all of us have been wondering about since his stroke last year. Some of us have seen him occasionally show up at things heard things about how he's doing. You got to sit down with him. Tell us first what your impression was of how he's doing. Well, uh, he is still um, in a wheelchair. Um, he suffered temporary paralysis on the left side of his of his body that uh, caused him to lose uh, the, the use of his left leg and left arm. Um, he says he can stand with a cane, and I'm told that he will probably... Um, do that uh, when he tries to goes to speak on Friday at our Cranes Newsmakers luncheon at the MGM Grand, and and but uh, he cannot use his left arm. Uh, he has very very limited use of it still. In fact, at one point I asked him what his range of motion was, and he's like, "Well, let's tr- let's see what what I can do." And he tried to move it, he couldn't. He used his right hand to to move his arm around. So he he is still you know uh, been you know 
suffering the, the effects of this stroke uh, that he had uh, that on May 26, uh, uh, Sunday uh, of Memorial Day weekend at Beaumont Hospital, uh, which started the night before with uh, symptoms of, of a stroke um, at his downtown Detroit apartment in the Vinton building at mm-hmm. Congress and, and, and uh, Woodward. He, he had a gathering of friends there. He had a rooftop bar, uh, rooftop uh, patio, rather, and they were looking out over um, Hart Plaza. The movement festival was going on. And according to Gilbert, he, he, he started seeing double, and he thought it was something to do with all the lasers and lights that were coming out of uh, a Hart Plaza. Um, but uh, he was taken to, to, a, to a bedroom in his apartment, and a friend who was there, uh, Dr. Steve, Stephen Adamzak, uh, an emergency room doctor uh, at various hospitals in southeast Michigan, was just there. He, uh, Dr. Adamzak uh, coaches uh, his, uh, Dan Gilbert's youngest son, Nash's basketball team, mm-hmm. and their, their, their kids are friends. And so uh, he examined them and said, uh, you need to go to a hospital. You got to go to a hospital, yeah. And in, in fact, and, and what I want to do with uh, this segment is you have a lot of sound from this interview of Dan talking about uh, these things, and you've got a, a clip of him describing that night, uh, and I want to I play that now and have you react to it. I happened to be with this ER doctor from Beaumont. Him and his wife were at our place among a few other people. And I told them I'm not going anywhere, but they insisted I go to Beaumont. So they they basically saved my life, this guy and my wife, because if I didn't go, it would have been a problem. So that's that's Dan Gilbert describing this night where he he happens to be with this doctor and has these symptoms. Yeah, and uh, and the doctor immediately recognized that his uh, his speech was slurred, his he had arm problems. Dan was initially saying it had something to do with the workout he had that morning uh, with a, with a trainer, and and so he was trying to, and according to Dan, he was trying to excuse it uh, essentially. And sometimes when you're in these emergency situations uh, and something's wrong with your body, you try to you know find ways to say that this is not happening right now, or and so there was some resistance. Um, and Dan and uh, from Dan and his wife uh, Jennifer Gilbert and his daughter Dr. Adamzak uh, both in. Uh, that he go to the hospital. Uh, he, he gets treated in Chicago at a state-of-the-art facility for stroke victims. And he says to you that we need a place like that here in Detroit. He told you that he's going to work on making that happen, which would be a really big deal for the healthcare sector here in uh, in Southeast Michigan. Um, I want to talk, uh, I want to hear him talk a little about how fortunate he was to be able to to do that, and that most people most people don't always have those kind of resources. I have a fortunate situation of having resources. I started thinking about imagine people just don't have any of these resources. What do they do? How do they? And insurance does not usually cover most of the stuff that you would rehab with on a stroke. Maybe some of it, but not, not most of it. Yeah, so talk about this place that he went in Chicago and what he wants to do here. So he went to the to Shirley uh, Ryan Ability Lab um, in downtown Chicago. It's a few blocks from from Navy Pier on Lake Michigan. It is uh, a five hundred and fifty million dollar facility that uh, was rebuilt a few years ago. It is it, U.S. News and World Report says it's the number one uh, facility for stroke rehab in the country. Obviously, um, Dan Gilbert has uh, infinite amount of resources and can buy the best uh, um, rehab that money can buy that that our you know regular people and insurance just doesn't cover. I mean, uh, there are caps on insurance on rehab um, where you only get so many rehab hours of rehab uh, or, or physical um, physical rehab or, or occupational therapy. Um, per week, and Dan Gilbert can can clearly buy more of that, uh, and he's getting it. He says he's getting three to four hours a day, um, every day of the week. He's he was at this Shirley uh, um, Ryan Ability Lab in Chicago for eight weeks and over the summer, and he's been home basically since Labor Day and 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 recovering and continuing to to rebuild his strength and ability to to do these motor functions uh, from his home in Franklin. Mm. 
Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Chad Livengood, a senior editor at Crane's Detroit Business, which got the first interview with Dan Gilbert since his stroke last year. We're talking about how Dan Gilbert's recovery is coming along and what he will be able to do, perhaps in the near future or in the later future. Uh, if you want to give us a call, uh, give, uh, give us a call and tell us whether you or a loved one has experienced this kind of health emergency, unexpected medical emergency, and tell us about the experience of recovery. What did that tell you about the medical system here in Southeast Michigan or in America more broadly, and what would you like to see happen to help people go through these situations? Uh, this is a subject that's near to my own experience. Uh, when I was a child, my father suffered a very serious stroke uh, when I was about 11, and uh, the rest of his life really was defined by recovery from uh, from that stroke. He also had uh, paralysis on one side of his body and struggled for the rest of his life to regain motor function in his arm and his leg on his right side. Uh, and I think there are lots of listeners, of course, who are uh, familiar with similar situations. So give us a call. Tell us what that has been like for you or your family. That kind of recovery. Do you wish we had better resources here in Southeast Michigan to help people and their families uh, deal with uh, these kinds of issues. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Chad, um, of course, you can't talk about Dan Gilbert without talking about the things that he's done here in the city of Detroit, in the downtown area in particular, what did he tell you about what the future looks like for all of that investment, all of the momentum he had he had built up? He has to to feel the same thing that the rest of us feel to some degree, which is that it's uncertain. Um, but but what did he say about those those projects that he has in the has going? Well, I can tell from this from this interview that his principal uh, uh, priority right now is from from a business side. Of his life is constructing this tower at the Hudson site, um, getting that done. Getting that done, and and they they say that they're getting close to having the final programming, which is which is code for who's going to be the tenant, um, and because you need an anchor tenant, and there's going to be a hotel component. They've already said they have to have a you know they have to have a hotel partner up front that will dictate how tall it ultimately is. You know, you would just think about three years ago, Dan Gilbert was talking about building a 900-foot-tall building, um, well eclipsing the 727-foot um, Detroit Marriott at, at the Renaissance Center. And now they're saying this is going to be less than, than 727 feet. So they've they've scaled this thing back um, just, just like sort of, you know, Dan Gilbert in life right now. A lot of things have kind of come back down to earth. And, and they've had to you know, really... Uh, re-examine that, and but they are bound and determined to build uh, a big, tall building um, at that site that will be an iconic landmark. And you can tell this is his legacy, hmm. um, that this is this is what he is uh, hanging his hat on right now in life to get done. Um, at the same time, he's you know he's got other uh, renovation projects at the Book Tower and Book Building and the Old Free Press Building. They're finishing up the addition to one campus, uh, Marsh's, the old CompuWare Building headquarters, um, and because they you know they need more office space for Quicken and many of their tenants as well. But um, right now, I mean, the Hudson's is next, and then after Hudson's is this project that he's doing with uh, Stephen Ross, the. Uh, a billionaire uh, real estate developer from New York who uh, is a native of, De of Detroit, uh, owns the uh, uh, Miami Dolphins. Uh, they are going to build this uh, innovation center satellite campus for the University of Michigan at the jail site, which has also been a a big piece of what Dan Gilbert has been focused on in recent years is, is getting something of a new anchor on the eastern uh, border of downtown after all the uh, fighting and, and um, criticism that he lodged about the idea of building a jail there. Mm. And at the same time, um, if you haven't noticed, at 75 and 94, there is a new jail uh, going it's up going right up. now. And yeah. It's going up quick. I yeah. mean, and there's, there's still two more years of work there, but, um, but that whole criminal justice uh, c complex is coming along, and that is 
a project that uh, that his company is is leading for the for for Wayne County. Hmm. Again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Aaron on Twitter says. Her stepmom had a major stroke at 43 and is now a paraplegic because insurance wouldn't cover good rehab. I think that's a pretty common story for people uh, who who have that experience. Let's go to John in Livonia. John, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I had a stroke in uh, uh, late August, and uh, mine wasn't as terrible as some other ones that I've heard of. But um, and I have I happen to have decent insurance at the time, uh, fortunately. But there seems there's a conflict, and and I don't I have no answer to this. But and I understand each person's side. But the doctor wants to offer you the best care and tells you what you should do, and the insurance tells you what you can afford. And um, hmm. you know it's it's a tough situation for everybody involved. And. You know, until it's you, you, you know, they're dealing with my health and my livelihood, and and um, and that's how it's hanging in the balance. And like I said, up until that point, I didn't realize how broken the system is. And mm-hmm. and, it, and like I say, I have no answers for it. But um, it's just, it was interesting and eye-opening to me how, uh, you know, how, you know, the doctor has your best interest, but it, he really has no clue what your coverage will will carry and then then you're at the mercy of the insurance company and, sure. and then they have to do what they have to do i guess so oh, yeah john well we wish you all the the best luck going forward uh, with your recovery and that uh, the insurance company will be able to cover the things that that you need but this is precisely what dan gilbert's talking about chad live and good yeah it is and there is a, a component to, to this that people uh, many of critics of dan gilbert have already latched on to um, just days before this stroke, uh, Dan Gilbert and his lobbyists engineered a major change in no-fault auto insurance, um, and and it will probably have an impact on the on the coverage and rehabilitation of brain injuries, mm-hmm. um, um, and and these rehab facilities like the Eisenhower Center in Ann Arbor, um, and and others um, have have come to rely on this no-fault benefit to pay for uh, really the best care that money can buy. Uh, we, we have um, a very unique system in Michigan for people who are in traumatic, uh, 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 in car accidents and suffer traumatic brain injuries. And this law is, is inevitably going to scale back some of that to try to contain the cost of auto insurance. Um, and people, you know, there are some critics out there to say, look, Dan Gilbert is getting the best care he could afford, but we are not going to have the best care we could have had or mm-hmm. we've had in the past uh, if people opt out of, of, of getting full coverage uh, on their on their automobile insurance after July 1st when this law change takes effect. Mm. Uh, so when you think of Dan Gilbert and, and all of the things, I mean, uh, Bedrock and Quicken and the many, many, many buildings that he's bought and renovated in, in downtown Detroit. I mean, there's there's a pace and an energy that's associated with that yeah. that I think a lot of people have questions about in the future, whether that will come back. I mean, I know he plans to go back to work, but will it be the same, I think, is the question that that's on people's minds. Well, before the stroke, Dan Gilbert had launched a podcast called Speed of the Game. Yeah. And it was literally kind of around his sort of life uh philosophy that you got to keep up with the game and and that game went completely to a halt um on on may 25th 26 when this uh when he had this stroke and so and maybe it's maybe the game gets re- restart or, or or changed it's, it's hard, hard to tell right now uh, you can tell that his you know his priorities are his his rehabilitation his family uh, he's got four or five kids and he's really a family man um, at heart, and then and then you can also tell that he really wants to get this tower built uh, for Detroit. Mm. Uh, the, the level of frustration I think that he feels is one of the things that comes across in your piece and in the interview. And I want to take a listen here to him talking about that physical frustration that 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 he now feels. If you have a stroke when you're done. Here's the problem with it: everything is hard. Everything, like you wake up, getting out of bed is hard. Going to the bathroom is hard. Sitting down eating at a table is hard. Mm-hmm. You name it. You don't get a break. You're like trapped in your own body. Trapped in your own body. I mean, uh, to, to hear somebody who 
I think lots of us knew as master of his own universe right. for, for such a long time described described that feeling. I mean, it's it's really it's really remarkable. Yeah, it really truly is. Just, just sit there and listen to him. I mean, it's a man who pays uh, professional basketball basketball players millions of dollars a year, and he's talking about nurses being underpaid, and and uh, you can you can tell there's uh, this is a very humbled man. Um, like I said earlier, he's kind of come back down to earth here and that this is what these kind of experiences will do to you mm. when you can't move or you can't just do your basic functions of life every day. Yeah. Aaron on Twitter wonders whether Dan Gilbert will now support a presidential candidate who is in favor of Medicare for all, for instance, uh, something that would provide better coverage perhaps uh, for people. Of, you know, I mean, Dan's politics uh, have been – Pretty well known uh, in the past to be not in that in that venue, but I but you do wonder, I guess, how much change there will be for him in 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 the future. Uh, talk about the way the city has reacted to his absence and and downtown in particular, where his investments and again that pace that he set for things really had an influence on on not just his own companies and employees, but but on everybody else. Yeah. I mean, people made a lot of their own business decisions based on what Dan Gilbert was doing, whether they were going to bet uh, big on Detroit. Just look at like Ford Motor Company coming to, to Cork Town to take over the and rebuild, re- rehabilitate the train station uh, and and the investments that the Illich companies have made and the investments that GM has made uh, via Chrysler. Uh, there's been a lot of people, Ally Bank moved into Dan Gilbert's uh, One Detroit Center uh, skyscraper. I mean, a lot of companies have made their decisions and 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 hiring and investments all around this guy's strategy, and and so that's been part of the sell, part of the of the allure. And I and ever since that stroke, since the Mackinac Policy Conference was a couple of days later, um, there has been quiet uncertainty um, across Detroit about what happens next, and everyone's kind of been waiting. To see, I mean, he's got this, you know, um, you know, stellar group of of of, of lieutenants uh, who run the various companies, and and they have been been out in the public, you know, Bill Emerson and Matt Cullen and Jay Farner, they've been out talking to people and trying to reassure everybody that uh, Dan's doing on on the mend and coming back. But we have, I mean, we like he's been spotted a couple times in, at, at a couple of private events mm-hmm. and public one public event uh, around. Uh, Around Hanukkah, but but really um, not been seen at all for yeah. for almost nine months, and and so there was you know there was some people you know just just right at the begin at the beginning of the year saying I don't think we're ever going to see the guy again. Mm. Um, so um, that, that that's why you know there's 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 a lot of um, people who are looking to to him f- to see what's next what's and, next? and yeah. what's the guidance. Okay, Chad Livengood, Senior Editor at Cranes Detroit Business. Always great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Stephen. And a reminder that uh, Gilbert is planning to make his first public speech since his stroke Friday at the Cranes Newsmakers of the Year Luncheon at MGM Grand Detroit Casino, where he's going to be honored with the first Newsmaker Hall of Fame award for his frequent appearances on the list of top newsmakers in Cranes 35-year history. That's going to do it for us today. I'll be back tomorrow, and I hope you will too, because we are going to talk with experts about New York City's controversial stop-and-frisk policy, which is now playing a big role in the conversation about who will be the Democratic nominee for president in 2020. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk more tomorrow.